It's kind of an unusual thing in the Pacific Northwest to attend an open casket memorial service. Most people up here do cremations anymore, but I have been to and been a part of many open casket ceremonies, especially in the South and the Midwest. It's an unusual experience. You can see up behind me what it looks like. It might be troubling to some of you. You may not have ever experienced anything like that, but what happens is they have a body of the deceased person in the casket, and it's open. And everyone takes their turn who wants to do that to uh, walk past the body. And uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a sense of closure. You see the person lying there. And if the, if the funeral home does a good job, then they actually look like they're just laying there asleep. They, they look alive. But everyone knows they're not. Keep that in mind. We're going through the seven churches in Revelation. Today, we arrive in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Wake up is the title of the message, and I'll bring that up again as we move along. I'm going to recommend some books to you. I do this on a regular basis. There's one today I will not recommend. But I will recommend this green one up here behind me. That's a book on Revelation by James Strauss. I'll quote from him in a moment. It comes from a series of books called the Bible Study Textbook Series from College Press Publishing. You can see there's a whole set from Genesis to Revelation. There's extras all through there. And all of those are collectible. They are worth far more than whatever you're probably going to pay to get a copy. They're not in print anymore. But you can get a PDF copy of all of them off of our website. Just look under the resources and you'll find them. But I will tell you about a book that is not available hardly at all anymore. It's the first part of a two-part book on the study of Revelation. It's also from College Press. And this book is very hard to find. If you get on Amazon, you can find about four copies are out there right now for sale. And one of them costs, if you look, here it is today, you can pick your copy for $203.65. That's why you don't throw away books unless you know their value. You have to be careful with that sort of thing. I, I have not pulled the trigger on buying another copy of this. I believe it's the best commentary on the first part of the book of Revelation that is out there. I bought three copies years ago when it was still available, and I gave two away, loaned my last one out, and it's not been returned in about 15 years. So I don't think I'm going to get it back. So I'm going to pull the trigger one of these days and get that copy if it's cheaper than that. But I thought I'd tell you about those books. I'm going to quote from that first one I mentioned from James Strauss. Two slides only today. The church in Sardis received the most complete condemnation from the Lord of the seven churches. So brace yourself. Out of the seven churches we talk about, this one gets the harshest condemnation. I hope you're ready for this. They are in a very serious spiritual condition, and they are consequently in grave danger of the Lord's judgment. He might come to judge Sardis as a thief in the night. That's a reference in one of the letters that Paul wrote, unexpectedly. There is only a small remnant at Sardis who shall share in Christ's triumph. 
Sardis, was the capital of ancient Lydia until 549 B.C. The ruins of her great temple to the goddess Cybele is, in, is still observable. A small village exists today near the site of ancient Sardis. Its name is Sirt. Ancient Sardis was wealthy from the gold and silver which she found in her rivers and hills. That is the background I'll give you on Sardis for today. The book that I said I would not recommend is by Edgar Allan Poe. He wrote a lot of dark stories. And the book is Telltale Heart. You may not be familiar with it. I'm not a novel reader. I read a lot of books. But I don't read novels. I read books that have to do with fact. And, and so I don't read novels much. But I will tell you a little bit about this one. So that if you don't know the story, you'll know it by the time the day is over. It starts with a man a long, long time ago. I mean, back when they didn't even have electricity, there were candles, you know, and lanterns for light. And the house, you know, the way the house is heated, it's, a, it's any type of radiant heat from a wood or oil source. And so you have to keep the doors open if you want all the rooms to be warm enough. The, many of them have grates in the floors, but you keep the doors open for so that the heat will spread. And in this... Um, cold time of the year. That's the way things were going. There's a nice old man that lived in this nice home. He had a glass eye that in those times they couldn't really fit you very well. And so the glass eye was too big and he couldn't close his eyelids. His eye was always open, even as he slept, just a little. He let a young man rent a room from him in his nice cozy home. And the young man uh, slept across and down the hall from the older man. That's the beginning of the story of Tale, Tale, Heart. We pick up talking about the seven churches. We've already discussed many of them. I'll give it to you. We have some dividing lines. You can see we have good and bad. <laughs> That's the way I've divided them. So the first one mentioned is Ephesus, which is on the bad side. You can see that up behind me. They had abandoned their first love. But note also that they were too tolerant of false teaching and false teachers. Another church mentioned, the next one is Smyrna, and they were faithful under trials. And more trials were to come. It was going to get worse. Maybe in your life too. Maybe you're going through difficult times. It could get worse. But that was a good church. And then we heard about Pergamum, and it's spelled different ways, as you see in different various Bible translations. It's due to the Greek uh, rendition. It changes with you know, gender, and, and uh, many things change it, uh, as it as it's discussed. But Pergamum was too tolerant also of false teachers and false teaching. They were in a bad spot, needed to change. Thyatira was in the same position. They were too tolerant of false teachers and false teaching. And, and also Sardis we land at today, they, well, they were dead. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, the title of the message is, Wake Up. Does that irritate you? Alarms are designed... To do that. Here's what some people look like when an alarm goes off. See that up behind me? Yeah, they don't like alarms. 
Alarms are designed to irritate you so that you get up. It's not supposed to be a pleasant thing. And increasingly so, more and more people hit the snooze button instead of getting up when they're supposed to get up. It's like they want to keep living in some sort of fantasy dream world. Oh, just five more minutes, just ten more minutes. And an increasing number of people can't get to work on time, can't get to school on time. An increasing number of people refuse to listen to the very alarm they set for themselves. Many people even factor in, I'm going to hit snooze a few times, so I'll set it for this time. It's just the way people are today. Many people. My, we have several small groups in the church, and my particular small group is, uh, Ted Williams is leading it right now, and we're going through a study series through a book called Aha by Ken Eidelman. If you have never been through a Ken Eidelman, I'm sorry, Kyle Eidelman, he's the son of Ken Eidelman. Uh, Kyle Eidelman, if you've never been through any of his study series and you need to pick one to go through a small group with, you can count on them being very effective. He does these little, um, it's like a TV show clip thing. And you watch these events happen, multiple stories going at the same time. And you get pulled into it and you get pulled into scripture. And one of the recent ones we just did talked about alarm clocks. And that alarm clocks are designed to wake you up. You know, it's irritating though. They're, they're supposed to be irritating. And irritating enough to get you to get up, to wake up. But we don't always listen to our alarm clocks. You know, when our parents try to teach us something. Or maybe a spouse says, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Or maybe it's a coworker or a friend. Or it could be anybody's. And it could be voices in your head. It could be a book you're reading, a radio preacher, a TV preacher. It could be a church. Something happens and Jesus is trying to make the alarm go off. And you got close to him and you said it. You want him to let you know when your soul is in jeopardy. But when the alarms sound... You hit snooze. Just ignore it. Want to live in some sort of a fantasy dreamland or something when reality is staring at you in the face and you just don't want to face it. It's irritating. Sometimes you might even want to just take a hammer to that alarm and silence it for good instead of changing to be right with Jesus. We just sometimes want to shoot the messenger. Here's where we are on the map. You can see on the island of Patmos is where John was given the inspiration. Jesus, through an angel, gave a revelation to John on the island of Patmos. And it first addressed the church in Ephesus. You can see where it is on the map here in Asia Minor. Then it addressed Smyrna, north. And then further north, Pergamon. And like I said, different spellings. Thyatira was last week. And then Sardis is where we land today. I want you to see in relationship at least to Turkey on the big map here. You can see where our map overlays. So you can see where things are. Have it in your head on a modern map. Okay. I would like to jump into the text. Revelation chapter 3. I think I have two up there. It's 3. Beginning with verse 1, and I'm going to carve these verses up a little bit differently than I normally do. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now we have a little bit more vivid picture of Jesus in these other passages, but I want to go ahead and give you this painting that an artist did to give us her perspective of how Jesus appears in the Revelation account 
descriptively uh, written with such figurative language, but it's a, a beautiful painting. Now let's jump into the meat of it. I know your works. For a moment, could you just go with me on this? Can you, can you, can you imagine today, you're supposed to set your clocks back. Some of you, maybe you didn't and you came early. Good. Maybe we didn't remind you on purpose. <laughs> but anyway, so it's, it's the day where you, you got an extra hour of sleep for the most part. And if you, if you could imagine that you came here to, to attend church for your own reasons. You want to be faithful to Jesus. You want to attend church because it's the right thing to do. It's your pattern. Whatever the reasons are, here you are. And imagine if actually this is not a coincidence. Imagine, if you will, that Jesus is saying to you, I know your works. I know what you've been doing or not been doing. Because that's the reality. He is saying that to you right now. I just read it. Those are his words, not mine. So he's saying that to you. And how does that make you feel when you hear the words, I know what you've been doing? Does it make you feel, well, good. I'm glad you're paying attention. I'm trying to please you, Lord. Or does it make you think, uh-oh. In the story, Telltale Heart, the young man seems to forget the charity shown him, the kindness given to him, the grace afforded him. The old man is letting him stay and rent a room in his own home. He didn't have to do that, but there's the young man, and he's trying to sleep at night, and while he's trying to sleep, the doors had to be cracked open, and he, and he rolls over. It happens inevitably just about every night. He rolls over, and he looks, and because light is so scarce, any hint of light is a lot in that dark house, and that he rolls over, and inevitably he rolls over, and he sees the glistening of that eye that that old man just can't close, and it irritates him. Instead of being thankful for having a place in this man's home, the kindness of the old man, the young man begins to hate. And it consumes him. Ignoring the voices in his head that tell him, you shouldn't think like that. You should be more thankful. You should be more, more grateful. He listens to the other voices. He doesn't want to hear the alarms. They're too irritating. <laughs> and so the alarm clock goes off, and he wants to smash it. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. Much like this church you see in the image behind me. Oh, the people are so on fire. They're having a worship service that is unbelievable. People are so pumped. Much like we had just a little bit ago. You have the reputation of being alive. But look what's next. But you are dead. Can you imagine the church in Sardis... You read these other letters along with it, and then you get to your part, and it says this. Oh, everybody thinks you're doing well. Everybody thinks you as a church, you as the people in the church, everybody thinks you're fine spiritually. You, you look fine. You have the reputation. Everything's going well for you. I mean, if they were to take a picture of anything that's going on in your worship service, it looks good. 
but you're dead. Can you imagine how that would feel? Can you try? Because you see, oftentimes when we go through Scripture, what usually happens is we think somebody else needs to hear this, and actually you need to hear this, and I need to hear this. That's why we're here today. This is for us. The, the alarms that are going off aren't for other people. The alarm that you're hearing is for you. How, how does that happen? Well, there's many ways this can happen where you can actually look okay as a Christian, but you're not. Maybe you've been in a position where you've wondered. People ask questions. I don't know how to answer. There's people that are critical. There's people that are, you know, they, they have these questions about God, Jesus, and the Bible. I don't know what to say. I need to ask somebody who, who's been, you know, a veteran uh, Bible student for a while. I can ask them. Maybe they'll know the answer, and that's okay. But wouldn't it be nice if you could know? How to answer other people? Do you know there's a verse that gives us some insight here? Look at this, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. The last part of it says, So that you may know how you, might an- might, you ought to answer each person. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You want to know how you ought to answer each person? Let's look at the first part of the verse. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. You're supposed to always be gracious when it comes out of your mouth. Seasoned with salt. You're supposed to be spicing up the conversation gracefully and graciously. That's how you're supposed to do it. Then then you're already prepared to talk to people in a way that's pleasing to Jesus. How is your speech? Is it gracious? Is it spicy? Is it something people really want to hear when you talk? Because it's good and and it's gracious. It's interesting. There's many other ways a church could, could struggle or an individual could struggle to look alive and, and actually be dead. I think it would behoove us to self-evaluate. How do I look to Jesus? That's the most important thing, isn't it? I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I remember standing there at the casket of my grandfather. My grandfather was probably, he'll probably always be in my mind, uh, my main mentor. There's probably never going to be another man that will uh, fit the shoes of my grandfather. He's such a good role model for me. And there I was, standing there looking at his body in the open casket. And He looked alive. I wanted to wake him up so I could tell him, you know, you're probably going to be the greatest mentor I will ever have. I never got to tell him. He looked alive. But he wasn't. The young man was very, very bothered. Night after night, rolling over, and there's that eye. So he devised a plan, ignoring the voices in his head that told him to just think of better things. He devised a plan. He's going to get rid of that eye. It was in the winter of 1989 and 1990. 
that Kansas City was hit with a hard ice storm. I still had to find my way to work, and I did, but there were only a few of us. A homeless man came in after surviving the night in the ice storm. Wanted to pretend that he could, that he was actually in there to shop. He wasn't in there to buy anything. He was in there because his body was failing him. A night out in the ice storm was taking its toll. And as he bent over to pretend to be looking at something he might purchase, he fell to the ground and his heart stopped. I heard the call, and I had to, I had to have somebody had to interrupt me to remind me. Did you hear that? That, that was important. And so, so I had to go. They wanted some people who knew CPR, and two of us arrived at the same time and began CPR on this person I had never met. His skin was very dark. It's deceiving. It's because it was purple. We weren't successful. Ambulance came, and when they arrived, they had the paddles out and told us, Stand back! And they shocked him. It was a very traumatic thing, watching this series of events unfold right in front of me. The man looked alive, but he was dead. Jesus said, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. I said it loud on purpose. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. He sounds the alarm, and he wants to wake the church in Sardis up, the individuals that are no longer right with him. He says, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. What did they receive? What did they hear? Well, it's the gospel message. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They're just going through the motions. They, they've got it down. You know, they probably don't, they don't, they probably don't say bad words anymore. They probably pray before their meals probably don't watch bad movies, don't read bad books, and they probably listen to good music. They probably got a few things down. They they don't smoke, they don't drink. They they got all those things down. They look really good. I mean, they come to church, they uh, worship service, they sing, and then some of them actually have talent and sound good when they sing. And and, uh, they they probably have good messages, and they probably read their Bibles. and They might even go to Bible studies that are separate from regular church. They might go to Sunday school. They, they might be involved in all kinds of activities that Christians do. The things Christians do. They looked alive. So remember then what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Change your mind. That's what the word repent means. They have to change their minds. They think they're okay. They're not okay. Did you know that happens? That people actually are actively involved in church and they think they're okay. But they're not. Why, why would Jesus have to say this if it weren't so? The young man devised his plan and began to take action. 
grabbed a knife from the kitchen, a long bladed knife. And he found his way with a lantern, pushing the door open to the old man's room. Found his way to the side of the bed, staring at that eye. He's going to take care of that eye. And just before he executed his plan, he made a mistake. He bumped something. And the old man's other eye opened. He woke him up. And the old man saw the knife hanging over him. And, he, and the young man began to hear the old man's heartbeat. It was loud. He began to hear it. Some thoughts in his head entered. I shouldn't be doing this. And the old man's heart began to beat faster. And the young man just, he overcame the thoughts in his head and thought, ah! And he plunged the knife and took care of that eye. And eventually, that heart stopped beating. Now what to do? He decided he had to take the body, drag it downstairs and move the coffee table from in front of the couch and pulled back the rug and pulled up the board so he could get down to the dirt. He dug a hole and put the body in the hole and put the boards back and he put the nails so precisely back in place no one could tell. Roll the rug back over, put the coffee table there, right in front of the couch, by the chair. Who's going to know? I mean, nobody ever comes by to check on the old man anyway. Nobody's going to know. And even if they do, they can't tell. I've cleaned everything up. I've, I've covered everything up. No one's going to know. Jesus continues... In verse 4, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. White symbolizes purity, you know. There are people in Sardis who have not contaminated themselves with this idea that you just go through the motions, you do church things because church people do church things. Those are all good things, but that's not where it ends. You used to be close to Jesus, and now you're not for the most part in Sardis. And there are some that stayed close to Jesus. And I'm sure they feel very strange because so many around them are no longer. But those that stayed close to him... In Jesus' eyes, he says the same thing. I know your works, too. And you will be rewarded. The one who conquers, verse 5 continues, will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Do you know that your soul is in jeopardy? If there is a potential for Jesus to blot people's names out of the book of life. In church in Sardis, well, some, their names will not be blotted. Do you understand the implication of the others? And he wraps it up with the same phrase he's been using with the others. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, this isn't just a letter written for each church. This is for anyone who would read this. Apply it to yourself as it applies to yourself. 
Listen. Is an alarm being sounded for you? Then listen. Can you hear it? After some time, the detectives showed up at the house. Some people had noticed they hadn't seen the old man moving around inside. Young man answered the door. They wanted to come in and look around, and they did. Have a seat right at the couch, right in front of the coffee table. That sat on top of the rug, that sat on top of the boards. They were just above the body. Would you like something to drink? He fixes them some beverages, and they drink while they talk. And as they're talking, the young man believes he has gotten away with it. They don't know. I don't know where he went. He, he, he left, and he, he didn't come back. I haven't seen him. You look around. I'm glad you're here, because I'm concerned, too. It would be great if you found him. And as he's convinced himself that he's gotten away with it, he begins to hear something. The heartbeat. Coming from below the coffee table. What is that? Can they hear it? I hear it. Keeps trying to say the words to convince him that he didn't do anything. But then the heartbeat begins faster, just like that night. And he can't help but remember and be taken back to that moment that was so traumatic that he had to get through. And he stands up and he can't help it anymore. I did it! I did it! I did it! I killed him! I killed him. And he has to face the consequences of his actions. Oh, the alarms were there all along. The voices in his head, they were telling him, you shouldn't be thinking like this. The sound of the man's heartbeat just before he committed the act. He didn't listen to the alarms, just like the church in Sardis. They're given an alarm. They have another chance. Will they listen? Just like you, just like me. The alarm is sounding, and I know it might be irritating. You might not want to hear it. It might be the same thing you keep hearing from other people. It might be from someone very close to you. It might be right now in church. You're hearing the alarm, but maybe you don't want to hear it. Maybe you just want to... Take a hammer to it and silence it. It's irritating. Maybe you think other people need to hear this and you don't. There's no problem there. There's no problem there. Mm -mm. Sure. One of the times they yelled, stand back. And they shocked the man that was on the floor. His color came back. They said, we got a pulse. I don't remember if my friend and I High-fived each other. I don't know, but I, I know it felt good because he was now alive. They put him on the board. They had backed the ambulance up to the front door, something they had not done before, but it was, there was ice everywhere, so they brought it as close as they could. And they, they put him back into the back of the ambulance, and that's when the sinking feeling sunk in deeper because they were beginning to use the defibrillators again. He died in the back of the ambulance. They kept trying to revive him, and I don't know if he ever came back to life. I know he looked alive, and I know that they kept trying to shock him back to life. I don't, I don't know if he responded. And there I was, standing at my grandfather's casket. 
I wanted to just shake him and say, wake up. I didn't, I didn't think we were done. I wanted to talk to him. but It was too late. You ever, you ever been there at an open casket and there's somebody there and they look alive, but they're not? It's because, you see, I've been to many. There's been to so many I've been to and there's been people there but it doesn't really get to me like it did that one. Why? Because when you have an intimate relationship, when you are close to that person, you're, you're connected. You have this emotional connected. Your souls are connected and, you, and it's hard to face the reality that the other person is dead. And Jesus looks at the church in Sardis, and he was once close to each individual in that church, and so many are no longer close to him. They used to be alive. They're dead. And he just wants to reach over and shake them and say, wake up. And that's what he's trying to do with these words to me and to you. Jesus says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You don't have to imagine anything. He's speaking to you. The alarm is sounding. Will you get up? If you need to make a decision, the opportunity is before you. We welcome you to come forward if you need to come forward or sing the song or talk to God right where you are. The rest of us will be joining you in song in just a few. Let's all stand and sing. I know I heard you loud and clear, so I followed through. Somehow I ended up here. I don't want to think I may never understand that my broken heart is a part of your Sometimes I gotta stop Remember that you got